0: Story number one, pretty little Deathworlders, the one with the big red button, written by Gifted Earth. Most people, when asked what the weirdest species in Stellar League was, would say the Lachalans. They were large, vaguely streamlined amphibious blobs with three eyes, six legs, and a pair of delicate mandibles, and two tongues, one of which was prehensile. The League scientists had been rather shocked to discover that the Lackalinds actually had bones. Not just cartilage and similar substances. Still, once everyone was over the weirdness, the Lackalinds had fit in quite well. Blapter Draukdal was used to getting weird looks from the aliens who were new to space. but of being a ship safety inspector meant meeting a lot of people. Not all of them were accustomed to the other species yet. So long as everyone was polite in the end, Blapta did not care what other species thought of them at first. Besides, their form had its perks. Kadania Dal the partner in work, certainly agreed. Lachalans just so happened to make perfect purchase for the Sinzeti. What species is the next squadron from? Drogdal asked as they made their way through the seemingly infinite hangar. Dal checked the data screen. Ooh, a fun one, this. Humans. Drogdhal burbled with interest. Human ships. They hadn't been a lot of opportunities to study the human ships, though they'd done their best to understand human engineering. They've sent more than I expected, Dal said as she scrolled through the data. I guessed that they were just prepared. Anyways, we're dealing with fighters, transporters, destroyers, battleships, and a bunch of medical craft. Hey, they brought a lot of medics. That was good. Those would probably be needed. Drogdell brought up the schematics of the own data slate. Huh. Why do their medical ships have that many guns? Self-defense, I guess? Oh, that actually made sense. Instead of having fighters who were designated protectors of the medical vessels, which had some but not much defense, the humans just expected the medics to be able to defend themselves, Bring up the fighters to, well, bite. This meant that sinking more resources into medical ships but also meant that you could get more damage done. So it was a fair trade-off in a large fight, which thus certainly almost would be. Drogdal and Dal Nassimar had reached the rows of human ships. They were certainly something. They kind of reminded Drogdal of very large knives. All sharp averages and sleekness, identification numbers and national emblems adorned each one. Along with Drogdal, bold annoyance, Dal Nassimar had to stifle a giggle. All right, why are there pinups in the human ships? They squinted a bit more. Further down the line was a uh, and why does it have a pin-up of a doozy? They drew chuckles from the nearby human military staff. One who was in uniform identifying them as a lead pilot came to explain. Inspector, this is a human tradition. It's been around since we were building sailing ships. We have figures decorating our boats as a sign of good luck. Luck. Right. Okay, but that does not explain the doozy pinup, of which I have a sinking suspicion there are multiple. Don't you think that that's a tiny bit weird? Um, well. The pilot shifted awkwardly on their feet. It's because the doozy were the first targeted. I suppose whoever painted this one wanted to honor the people who've died in this war. Ah. Right. Dil Nassimar said, that's actually kind of sweet of you. Dorkdahl made a note of the strange tradition on the datapad. Meanwhile, in their mind, they made a note that the creatures with tentacle-like roots just did not look right when poses designed for creatures with long legs. Technically, it didn't break any regulations, so it was still very bloody weird. Thank you for the explanation, at ease, pilot. The humans saluted and went back to their crew. Dorkdahl moved on for outward inspection, or the human ship seemed to be in very good shape. Which wasn't surprising, since they'd probably never actually seen combat before. Maybe a couple of them had fought pirates or something, but even that wasn't terribly likely. And now they're about to fight a war. Dorkdal and Dal Nassimor took extra time on the human ships, just in case. Admiral Anastasia Yokalanaba Masa looked over her briefing notes with a careful eye. This outer space crap gave her a headache. She diligently worked her way up through the ranks of the Martian Defense Force, proudly working to protect her beloved, not-so-red planet from pirates, smugglers, and the occasional asteroid. And now she was representing her world in an interstellar war council. Why couldn't they launch an Alpha Century had been ten years later, when she would have been able to retire and leave it to a subordinate? Well... She was here now, so she better do her job properly. Thank you for all coming, she said at a session, Admiral Centenati of the Balbovar. Now I'll be brief, Vaco's time is limited. We are not in a good situation here. The primary issue is that we know very little about our enemies and their capabilities. Fortunately, what we do know is quite informative. If you'll turn to page 5. Masa, open up the page 5 and about the seventh time that day. This section relates to what information we have. I'll bring up the key points now and so you can develop strategies. The first thing is the lack of shielding. The main theory right now is that it is so that they can move faster in real space. If no power is going to shielding, they have more power to spend on movement. It's not a fully satisfying explanation, but it's what we have. This also means that purely energy-based weapons aren't going to be much help. We have to actually hit them with something physical. Marsa rubbed a temple. Great. That meant a higher investment of resources, because to hit someone with a rock, you actually needed to have a rock available to you. It also made it a lot easier to run out of ammo. Second point is one that I've already mentioned. Speed. Those smaller ships are fast. Their role is to swoop in, disable large targets, and then leave. We don't know how they'll handle our fighters, but make sure that your tracking computers are working before the inevitable fight. Oh, that was even worse. Tracking systems could only do so much when they were attempting to throw a rock at something moving at a relevant percentage of the speed of light. They would have to slow the last fighters down in order to stand a chance. Third point is the big moon. We all have seen the records of what happened at Blossom's Apex. Fortunately, we don't have to worry about the big gun in a firefight, because it takes literally hours to charge, and it's pretty obvious when it does so. We can be certain that there are other defenses on board, though, and there will be a lot of them, so keep your distance anyway, if you can. The fourth point relates to more cetaceans than ships. Shields did not do much good in protecting our stations from being bored by the last. The crew of the Giant Side Research Hub can attest to that. We are ideally going to be evacuating all of the stations in all the systems that have any last attack. But they may need some protection from the more mobile crops. Just to buy the evacuees some time. Fifth and final point, personal combat. We have a reason to believe that if the Lost board ships, they won't want to deal with normal combat, based on what they said after the Giants eye attack. If they do though, we have a problem. Only two people have survived a direct physical confrontation with the Lost. And both of those people are undergoing medical care. Also they were both humans, so that would probably make humans a primary targets. Question Said the Sephardi Queen Admiral, she was a formidable presence. None, the least, because of her sheer physical size and the retinue of armed guards. Do we have any kind of time frame for the next attack? Excellent question, Your Majesty. Centennati said, right now the moon is charging from the Lanolania system star. We can't really make prediction on how much longer this will take, which is why we're moving forces into that area now. The Queen Admiral didn't seem impressed by that statement, but she accepted it. Marcia chewed a lip, she looked back down at the notes on the data screen, the plan formed in her mind, and then she discarded it. She'd done this many times already. She suspected the other military leaders had done the same. This time the Stellar League was at least somewhat prepared. It really couldn't be said that they were ready, but they had at least tried to prepare. When the moonship jumped into the Connellia system, the alarms were sounded. The three inhabited planets in the system were given a signal to evacuate. Mining and research crews fled their posts. Billions of people had been told to be ready themselves to leave at a moment's notice. And they had done so admirably. The exodus was beginning. The moon ship released a cargo of death, letting swarms of tiny, fast fighter ships out into the system. They charged the stations as before, though now they also had the fleeing transport ships to target. Escort vessels held the line as best they could, but casualties were inevitable. In a moment of true serendipity, the moment that the first station was fully destroyed was also the moment that the first wave of Stellar League's forces jumped into Canalelia. It was an impressive sight. The combined forces of a dozen space-faring civilizations was not to be taken lightly. The Strictek led the charge as a vengeful herd beasts were wont to do. Their vast battleships thundered across the solar plane towards the last. Zavadi the Hive ships accelerated as they drew close and screamed into battle as one organized unit. Blasting past the Stricttek, there was no species more coordinated in the galaxy in all likelihood. When the first blows connected with the last fighters, each ship sent a message speaking as one For the one you stole from us. To their credit, the last had probably been expecting something like this. They turned their attention from the stations to the new opponents. No one so far cared if they lived or died, so long as their survival, death helped prolong their people and their league. They threw themselves into battle with near reckless, perfect, unified abandon. The lost were a little taken aback by this, but soon repounded. And by repounded, it should be noted, was meant released even more ships of all kinds from their mothership and attendants. Oh, Jesus Christ Almighty, that's a big, freaking fleet! Admiral Marsa did not respond to his subordinate's vulgar language. It was appropriate. This is the UNS Alexander the Great, she said. Come in, Field Command Forces. How are we? Alexander, this is UNS Guy Gisborne. We're getting close to launch time. Copy that and hurry up, Master said. I do not like the damage that the Savardy and Strictek are taking. Copy that. This is the UNS Dunkirk return. We are approaching Flower Four Alpha in evacuation. Expect T minus one hour to landing. Alexander. This is the UNS Liberty Torch, reporting in, about to engage the enemy. massa took a deep, shuddery breath. It was beginning. Copy that, Liberty Torch. Good luck. UNS Awata, come in. UNS Awata, reporting, we're approaching, as are the doozy. There was one more command vessel left to respond, but she was under strict orders to not respond no matter what. Marsa didn't even know where she and her fellows were at that moment in time, and Marsa didn't know that meant the last couldn't. Every species in the League thought a little differently. Because of this, they ended up handling battles a little differently too. This worked out quite well because that meant that it was easier to fight up roles in battle. The shtik and the Zavadi, the humans and the Vactor, all of these were species that could handle themselves in a direct firefight. And so, they led the charge. The majority of their forces were devoted to direct confrontations with the last. Meanwhile, the Cinzetti, the Abrelli, and the Aradkians, being more suited to subterfuge, made raids on their foes. They swooped in, did damage, and swooped out. They took casualties, of course, but they performed their roles admirably, giving the main fighters a chance to make progress. The bal and the Lachalan, and the Bermar, formed a defensive line. They covered the transports and medical ships and provided a safe haven for damaged ships to dock behind for emergency repairs and restocking. The Doozy could not fight. They were physiologically incapable of war. That didn't mean that they couldn't help. Their forces were devoted to intelligence. Remote-controlled drone ships darted through the fight, recording as much as they could. Their aim was the moonship the dream of seeing her defenses and possibly even her weaknesses. Of every species, except the doozy, contributed a little of every other species' efforts. In particular, the Ofru found themselves acting as a jack of all trades for the fight, contributing to each cause equally, and every species could contribute to the plan and slow the loss down. The UNS Guy Gisbon, her allies and her escorts reached the destination, The main fighting was all happening near the large gas giant that had once been a host to dozens of space stations. It was a perfect staging ground, high gravity far from inhabited worlds, and easy to manipulate. UNS Guy Gibson in position, ready to launch payload. Guy Gibson was greeted by a number of similar reports from her allies. The easiest way to slow a car down is to put a cow traps on its way. The same principle could be applied here. Each of the ships released clouds of velocity mines. If something moved too fast near them, they would explode. League ships had shielding to deal with this. The last, for some reason, didn't. It was a spectacular success. After the first super speedy lost fighters blew up, all the others got a message and started to slow down to avoid the mines. This made them a lot easier to hit. Rather unfortunately, the crew of Guy Gibson did not live to see the success play out. But that's what happens in war. War Queen Pyre Marani had to give her foes some credit. That was a very good way of slowing her fighters down. She had to respect that thinking. A few other races had tried similar things upon Encounter the last. It hadn't saved them, but it was still admirable, and honor dictated that she respect them for it. Commander, status of the evacuees. The commander bowed his head deeply before replying. War Queen, they are so numerous that they are having problems getting everyone off-world. There will be many more, proportionately, than there were on the previous system. War Queen Pyre growled. I think we're going to have to change tactics. She slammed the tail into the ground three times for attention, which she immediately had. Prepare the unchained. My war queen, why? The commander shook as he spoke. Forgive my insolence, but I do not understand why we are moving to this phase already, when the fight has barely begun. Oh, look at them, you idiot, she gestured to the fees of the command ships. The Stellar League are more numerous than the other foe that we faced before. A single large ship is comparable to ten of any foes, but they have an awful lot of ships. We will lose far too many last if we keep this up. I understand. The commander returned to his post, and then began to orders. War Queen Pierre sat back in the command chair, in front of the central war console. She was also enjoyed the spot. Every time she pressed this button, she saved a people. Also, there were very few species in the galaxy that can resist the joys of pressing a big red button. Especially when you are the only person allowed to go anywhere near it. Admiral Marsa, are they retreating? So they are. They were fighting back to the moon ship. Marsa did not like this. It was the most obvious warning sign that she had ever seen in her life. Hold your position, everyone. Stay wary. Marsa watches a new set of ships, bigger and sleeker than before, were launched from the moon ship's attendants. Hmm, They were moving pretty fast, ludicrously fast. Did they forget about the mines? No, they couldn't have. They would be pure stupidity. They were aiming right for the minefield, though. With those shields? Oh, crap! The last did-use shields. Just not on all of their ships. Why not? Why were the ships not slowing down? They didn't even care about drawing a of fire from the League. Scatter! Marsa yelled into the comms. Retreat away from them. This is a... The last ships exploded with the fury of a hundred Chernobyls. They blew apart everything around them and their dark engines were purposely sent to the most unstable state possible. Retreating doesn't help in that kind of situation. Nothing does. In seconds, the last had punched gigantic holes into the League's forces, destroying the Zavadi's formation. Another wave of ships launched. These ones were heading for the planets. End of chapter.